0: Welcome to Europa. My name's Peter Young, and in this month's show we have two stories from Scotland's Nordic neighbours. Danes have recently marked the 100th anniversary of the post-World War I reunification of southern Jutland with Denmark. We interviewed Elzebeth Osted-Schanz of the Danish Poster Museum in the city of Aarhus about her exhibition of plebiscite poster art. Our second story is from Sweden and covers the recent announcement by the Swedish authorities that they were winding up their 34-year search for the assassin or assassins who were behind the 1986 murder of then Prime Minister Olof Palme. We interviewed Dan Herning of the long-running Swedish podcast series Palme Mordet. I'm speaking with Elisabeth osted curator and head of the Danish poster museum in the city of Aarhus. Yes. Elisabeth, what is the poster museum and where did you get your posters?
1: <laughs> the poster museum is, as the name says it, uh, a museum about and with posters. Uh, it is uh, situated. The Danish poster museum is situated in uh, Aarhus, uh, in um, uh, in a museum, a bigger museum that is called the old town, den gamle by, which is an open air museum. So we is we are a department of the open air museum, den gamle by. I see. Uh, uh, and we have approximately two th- 200,000 posters. Uh, and we are getting our posters by um, active uh, collecting uh, policy. When we are doing uh, some special exhibitions, we know well, we haven't got posters about, let's say, punk music. We only have five, so we have to collect some punk music posters uh, or or things like that. Uh, So we have a a collective uh, policy, policy, uh, and um, then people are very, very kind to give us posters. They are writing to me or uh, ringing to me and saying, we are uh, at the moment being uh, getting rid of uh, things in our house. Could you use these posters? So. Uh, in in that you can say a passive collective way, we are also uh, getting posters. I see. Uh, so it's basically a collection of Danish cultural hist.
0: It's it's Danish cultural history in, in poster form.
1: It's it's posters from all over the world. It's not just oh, Danish. Uh, it's okay. it's, it's uh, international. We have Danish posters, of course, but we have uh, posters for, from all over the world, and we are collecting yes. posters from all over the world because we also want to tell the uh, graphic history of the posters internationally. So, okay, we, I um, yeah.
0: I see. On the specific issue of um, the reunification of of northern of of southern Jutland with with Denmark. Yes. I believe you have a special exp- a- a- exhibition yes. at the moment. Yes. I'm not sure if it's
1: open, but it is. Could you tell it us a little about that? It is open. Oh. It is open. Yes, and it's open uh, for the rest of the year because of all this uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, corona um, situation. We have uh, prolonged uh, the uh, exhibition, uh, so it is now open for the rest of the year. Okay. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the the content and uh, and why you've done this? Yes, of course. Uh, Well, we have this uh, exhibition building in in the Old Town, in the Open Air Museum, where we have a permanent exhibition about old dailies posters, and then we also are making special uh, exhibitions uh, two or one times a year, and this year it is about uh, the election posters for the reunion of the southern uh, Jutland with uh, Denmark. Uh, And we are, of course, making the exhibition because it is 100 years ago that uh, this uh, connection with southern Jutland and uh, uh, Denmark uh, uh, went on. So so that's why we are showing it uh, this year. And we are showing both Danish and German uh, posters uh, election posters um, okay. for From the both plebiscite. sides of the argument for both both sides both of the argument uh, for for this uh, plebiscite. So yes, for,
0: for and against. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what what role did the the media and visual art play in promoting the sense of uh, patriotism um, on both sides? What what was was it important to the to to the thrust of the of the
1: arguments? It was very important. Yes, it was. Uh, it it uh, when you look at the posters, they are uh, very full of feelings, and, and and you can make you can you can feel the passion behind them. That that they are really fighting for what they believe in, uh, and mm-hmm. that is both uh, the German posters and the Danish posters. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the argument is, you know, what are you going to be? Danish or are you going to be German in the future? That of course is a, a big question, but it's, uh, the Danish posters also uh, uh, looks on the economic side and says, well, Germany after World War One is very pure, uh, poor, poor and we in Denmark we have a lot of food and so uh, mm-hmm. vote for Denmark because you will yes, get a yes, better life yes, if you're voting yes. for Denmark. So there okay. are different different kind of arguments uh, in the posters.
0: Okay, was there, was there a central theme, one one overriding theme to the posters? I heard something about coming home to mother.
1: Yes, a, a sense
0: of the motherland.
1: Yes, that's that's a Danish poster. Uh, one of the really strong posters uh, saying that uh, yes, that southern Germany is was part of Denmark before 1964 when we lost the war to Germany. So they 1864, yes. Yes, sorry, 1864, uh, and uh, and. Um, uh, so it states that uh, we have the right to this part uh, of, of of Germany because it is old Danish land. So come mm. back to the motherland, it says. Mm. Uh, and what, what
0: was the German? What was the German uh, theme? Did they have a, a particular message they were conveying to to, to the voters? Uh,
1: they they said that uh, Slesvig, that is also the southern part of uh, Jutland and Slesvig. Mm. That is mm-hmm. the same, and they say Silesia uh, was part of Germany, and mm-hmm. uh, back in time before 1864, it was part of Germany. Uh, mm-hmm. So they mean that uh, that it should go to uh, to Germany. So that's uh, an, a, a very important argument for them: the historic fact that mm-hmm. it was once part of Germany. So it should be that again. Can I go on a little deviation
0: here? I don't know if you can answer this, but mm. I understand the plebiscite, the referendum, yes. uh, was a result of the, um, the Versailles Treaty, the peace treaty after World War yes. I. Uh, but were there any attempts before 1920 to hold a referendum or a plebiscite on the status of Schleswig-Holstein?
1: No, there wasn't. There was a, wi- a, a wish from the southern uh, uh, part of, of Denmark to do so, and mm-hmm. uh, not not make a plebiscite, but to get the country back to Denmark, uh, okay. yes. or, or, or that part of the country back to Denmark, but uh, there was never a, a talk about a plebiscite, no. Okay, something positive came out of World War One yes. uh, for Denmark, even though yes. they were neutral.
0: And yeah. the... I've I read a little about Tor Berlund and Paul yes. Hasse. Yeah, what, how significant were these two in the poster campaigns?
1: Tor Berlund was uh, very significant. He made uh, the um, most of the posters, the uh, posters that the Danish government uh, wanted uh, to be made and, and that they uh, asked for he made them. So he was mm-hmm. very significant. I think he made about uh, 10 posters. Uh, and um, they are very strong and he was a, um, a very uh, skilled uh, poster artist uh, mm-hmm. long before 1920. So he, he knew what we, he was doing and not on which uh, string he was uh, pulling. So, pulling uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Paul Hase. Well, he was kind of the German tourbillon, uh, also a very skilled and 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 he knew the poster media and and knew what to do to to get uh, through to people. So um, so they were very good, both of them, and, and had Would experience. Fair-
0: Would it be fair to say that posters in 1920 were the equivalent of a social media campaign? Today on Facebook or whatever,
1: they were extremely important because, well, you didn't have, of course, you didn't have computers or social media. Uh, you didn't have uh, television. Uh, you did have radio, but it was so new that it mm-hmm. was nothing nothing to do with ordinary people. They didn't have a radio, so the okay. only thing you had was newspapers and yeah. posters, um, and of posters. course, uh, yeah, and and uh, the thing with posters is that they go directed in your heart you don't have to read uh, a text and uh, think about it you you uh, look at a picture and it yeah. goes immediately in your heart uh, so yeah. that's um, a very strong thing with the posters and they were all over the streets i uh,
0: see i read i read a figure of over one hundred thousand posters yeah. were printed yeah a huge yeah. amount for a small area they must have They're been everywhere
1: they were everywhere. You couldn't, at the moment you went out of your door and was in the street, then you had the posters in your face. They were everywhere.
0: <laughs> remarkable. It's yeah. remarkable. Um, how is the 100th anniversary being celebrated? Is it a national event or is it mainly important to the people in the borderlands?
1: It is, of course, very, very important. Uh, and I have a significant um, um um meaning for the people uh in the border uh, area but it is a thing for all uh, the country not in germany of course because they didn't no. uh, they didn't get a country they lost uh, a part of, of their country but in denmark uh, it is uh, very important also in copenhagen and and uh, in, in all the country and it is set a, Braided in all the country, but of course, especially in the southern part of Jutland.
0: Denmark has confronted, well, confronted sometimes peacefully, sometimes not, but Denmark has confronted its, its large southern neighbor in, I think, 1864, 1920 and 1940. Mm. Um, how has such a small nation like Denmark um, resisted a more powerful I mean a hugely more powerful neighbor I mean how, how is how has Denmark survived this the, these uh, historic situations mm. other countries have have given in you know
1: yeah 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 well I don't know well in many ways the Germans and the uh, and the Danish people are very much alike uh, mm. and um we have always, had, yeah, well, there was these wars, as as you are saying, but 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 all in all, we have had a, a good relation, and and uh, Germans love to come to Denmark to on yes. holiday, and we love to go to Germany on holiday, uh, and I know that the people uh, in the border area uh, does not feel German or Danish; they are both, uh, and and they would not. Want to because I know uh, many people from the southern part of Jutland. They mm. would not like to um, choose between one or the other because they are this group uh, around the border. Uh, so that's something special. Um, and I don't know how 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 have it done. I, I don't think we feel Germany as a threat. Uh, for uh, today or or, uh, even just uh, after the Second World War. Um, So it just came natural that we have a good uh, neighbor uh, ship now.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, Today there are Danish speakers in the German part, I take it. Yes, yes. There's a Danish, yeah, a Danish yeah. minority in, in yes. Germany and a German-speaking minority in Denmark. Um, how do you think the border is actually viewed today? I'm, we're continuing a little bit from the previous question. A yeah. uh, hundred years on, are all the conflicts of the past, are, are they over? Have, have people moved uh, on now
1: finally? Yes, I, I would say so. There are always some people who... Uh, what 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 should i say um are keeping on a, a kind of fight uh, both on the danish and the german uh, um, side of the of the border but is how would that express itself in street um, names or yes we have that's right we uh, just now we had a discussion about street names uh, in the southern part of Jutland. Uh, people wanted also or, or the government wanted also to have the street names in german now they're just in danish and that made uh, very strong feelings uh, in some of the people who said no way this is this is danish land why should we write the street names in uh, german uh, but on the other hand in germany on the other side of the border you have the street names in both danish and german so why shouldn't we but but yes. uh, but some people have strong feelings about it still but it is uh, very few, in fact. Okay.
0: Dan, you co host the podcast Palme Mordet about the unsolved assassination of Swedish Prime Minister Olaf Palme. But how did your podcast begin? I had spent a lot
2: of time, uh, starting in 2013, podcasting in English. In 2015, I started my first Swedish podcast, and then I discovered that uh, speaking Swedish was much easier. (laughs) And then I looked around to do another one, and I saw that the 30-year day was coming up for the Palmer murder, and there was a podcast about uh, the assassination of Palmer in Swedish that it was made by a stand-up comedian, (laughs) and it was 50% uh, stand-up comedy. But then I thought, okay, I could do this much drier and more fact-oriented. I think I got out like three episodes before the 28th of February 2016. And that became, during 2016, my biggest success
0: yet. The Swedish prosecutor recently pointed to a likely assassin, the late Stieg Engström, uh, also known as Scandiaman. How has that news been received in Sweden?
2: I uh, think it has been received with a lot of criticism. Uh, I think the major point of criticism was that uh, there was nothing new. I covered almost everything he talked about in my first few episodes about Scandiaman back in 2016. But then there were a lot of new facts about Steve Engstrom in 2018 from the Filter magazine and the book by Thomas Pettersson. Aha. Uh-huh. But that wasn't really included in the press conference. So the press conference was really basic. It's like, he was close to the murder, he's lying. But that was what people said already back in 93 about him. Among the police, people said that in uh, June 86. Earlier this year, there was talk
0: about a breakthrough in the investigation. Um, yeah. and, and the sense was that, wow, they've got DNA evidence, they've found the gun, mm-hmm. or something very, very significant. But was there any DNA? Was there a gun? Was there even a motive mentioned?
2: They did uh, test shoot a couple of guns, and then they discovered that they, they had never been able to test shoot the bullets the bullets are in too bad a condition to test shoot any weapon. I see. Ever. But uh, the leading uh, looking for the new firm, the leading uh, crime lab technician, Tommy Björk, mm-hmm. he said to the media "But I have tested 400 guns in the Palma murder. I have molds of the bullets when they were fresh. I could do it. <laughs> Why can't you? he's retired now. And then they tested the DNA of the of a couple of letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of crazy letters sent to the investigation. So I don't know why they tested those letters it didn't even look like Steve's handwriting. No, they, they just took some random letters among their collection. Oh, I think it's somewhere between 100 and 200 weird letters that came to the investigation. And they selected these and um, took DNA samples from them, and then they tested it against the. I'm it wasn't him. So, who's been writing these
0: letters? Yeah, a lot of crazy people. So th- this case attracts crazy people. Now, uh, Dan, over the years, the investigation has taken many twists and turns. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I remember from the beginning, Kurdish terrorists, South African agents, and, and even the FBI favourite, the lone nut theory, but yes. one avenue of the investigation that doesn't seem to have been fully resolved is the domestic conspiracy, in other words involving elements of the Swedish security services, the police. Is that a dead end? Is no one looking at that anymore?
2: I think no one is looking at anything anymore, the investigation has now shut down. Mm. Yeah, I think that it's pretty hard to find something there, but of course we don't know, so anything is possible.
0: Yes, I was thinking particularly of Lars Borynes and Jan Stocklasser, who, who, who are quite vocal and talking about the case, particularly Stocklasser with his new book.
2: And I, Borynes is uh, very good at uh, pointing out things that should have been more investigated.
0: Yeah.
2: I had a lot of hope for the investigation before this one, uh, Dag Andersson who uh, worked between 2013 and 2016. Yeah. He was a very experienced uh, murder investigator. And he was looking where, <laughs> looking at the walkie-talkie things and stuff, but he, he didn't, yeah. he didn't yeah. find anything. Yeah. He's, uh, he was the police all his life and spent the last of uh, the last year of his career in the pul- leading the Palmer investigation. I see. Before Christopher Peterson. And-
0: the Prime Minister had no bodyguards on the night he was... He almost never had. He never had. So there's nothing particularly conspiratorial about
2: that. No, he, he, he was very fond of getting rid of his bodyguards. So during the month of February, he only had bodyguards five times. Finding him without a bodyguard wasn't that hard
0: so the so the the suggestion that uh, only a certain number of people would have known he was unguarded uh, is is not particularly suspicious because he didn't use bodyguards very much exactly the suggestion that he was being stalked in the weeks or or days up to the assassination people outside his home people and as you mentioned the people with walkie-talkies suspicious activity, perhaps even among certain policemen.
2: Is this just another wild theory? It's uh, co- highly contested. So there is a separate report um, from the security police that said that he was being followed in 86. And then the next investigation concluded that, of course, he wasn't followed. <laughs> okay, so, to, so are you that, telling me the first
0: investigation under Hans Holmer, uh concluded that someone was stalking the prime minister?
2: Yes, but the guy who uh, was responsible for that report later recanted. So, uh, um, but I mean it's a
0: search for justice and that's the positive angle on it. It's a search for, for a resolution to a crime. It seems, seems so unfair because Palmer was, was yeah. you know, however you think of him, he was highly respected across the world and did a lot of good. True. It, seems, it just seems so unfair that someone should die so horribly and never have any form for justice, you know, one way or the other.
2: How an investigation can go so wrong is, is the, one of the biggest interesting subjects about the murder. The, the investigation then is, is
0: basically shut down. Uh, does this mean the end of the... Palmer podcast?
2: Uh, I was hoping for the end of the Palmer podcast. I was hoping to get a solution. But when I saw that press conference, I realized, yeah, now we got at least another eight years of content with all these <laughs> documents coming out. The regular secrecy for an ongoing investigation is no longer valid. So all the documents are now available for request. Somebody has to sit down and look at, okay, does this reveal any state secrets? Can we put any other secrets on this? And if they
0: can't, then they have to deliver it. So there's a movement to try and get all of the documents into the public domain. Yes. Now, when you mentioned stay behind, uh, this is also related to Palmer's assassination and a possible, what could you say, an organisation which would have survived an eventual russian takeover of sweden
2: yes um, there's um uh, that's an interesting angle of course with the gladio in um, in italy etc
0: or, or the sense being that palmer was perhaps too close to the communists at the time too close to russia or
2: i think uh, that's um born theory and a lot of other people that the, this meeting in uh, russia in april was something that should be
0: stopped okay he was going for a meeting in in russia in, in the april
2: so that was uh the boringness uh, uh, angle there's a lot of people taking that angle but swedish wing interests were too scared of good, that, letting him go to to russia but what could one man have done what, what could he have done uh, good question but I think the, the the people that were most afraid of it feared that he would, like, sell out Sweden and make it an Eastern Republic uh, in the Warsaw Pact. That seems so far-fetched. Yes. Especially from what we now know about how close Palme was working with NATO. <laughs> they didn't know that uh, the people on the far, far right in Sweden, they, they didn't know how close... I worked with NATO, so no. they only saw what uh, what they feared.